Hi, I'm Judith. Um, I'm a third-year biblical studies student here. Um, I lead a home group, and if the dodgy accent hasn't given it away, from Belfast. Sorry, not sorry. Center of the universe. Um, first and foremost, I just want to say that if anything was said here these past few weeks is new, confusing, weird, that's okay. I was once in that position not too long ago, um, and it's great just to come with a lot of questions. There are a lot of people who would love to speak to you, love to have a chat, including me. So tonight, what are we up to? I have the fun task of discussing the Holy Spirit, how he speaks, and how we can listen. If there's one thing I want us to take from tonight, it's that the fact, the beauty of the Holy Spirit is found in the fact that he is so multifaceted in his speech. He moves in the seemingly big and the seemingly small. Both are as powerful as each other and both are as valuable as each other. The Holy Spirit is intelligent. He knows us and uses the entirety of our being to engage with us. We should respond no matter the form of communication he chooses. So I want to encourage you, listen to the Holy Spirit. He likes to show up. I think he already showed up during worship. Listen to what he's saying. Look at what he's doing in the room. Sometimes he wants to encourage. He wants to affirm who you are. Sometimes he just expects obedience. That's okay. Both of these things may evoke an emotional or a physical response, don't be afraid of that. No matter how he communicates, we need to respond. Therefore, at the very end, we have some prayer ministry time, just a time to offer ourselves to God and respond to who he is. We should have a posture of willingly and expectantly listening to his voice, rather than deafening ourselves in pursuit of comfort. So, Full disclosure, I am building heavily on what Al said last week. Even apparently he thinks it was bad. I think it was good. Um, he did a pretty good job as offering a scriptural overview of the spiritual gifts. And he gave a lot of definitions. Thank you. Um, I 10 out of 10 would recommend listening to his sermon on our podcast, along with Morag's discussion of the kingdom of God. It will be super helpful. So, we are going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 11. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each of us is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. 
So, how does the Spirit speak? He speaks primarily through his gifts. The Holy Spirit speaks in his gifts. He speaks, speaks in the seemingly big and the seemingly small. Vineyard is both a charismatic and evangelical movement. These two terms are not mutually exclusive. They can coexist and they should coexist. This is the radical middle. We love the spirit and we preach the gospel. But in reality, what do these two terms even mean? For me, when I was younger, I thought charismatic was a polite way of saying really weird Christians who like to be slightly dramatic. <laughs> Hence why I'm here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now I've changed my mind on that. The word charismatic comes from the Greek charisma, meaning gifts. Funnily enough, it shares a root with the Greek word for grace, charis. Therefore, we as a church wholeheartedly believe that the Spirit gives gifts due to his grace. He gives us gifts because he wants to engage with us. He wants to build relationship with us, and he wants us to build relationship with others. Evangelical simply means to live in accordance to the gospel and preach in accordance to the gospel. The Spirit helps with that. A wise sage named Jesse Dooley, the one and only, <laughs> um, once told me that God's spiritual gifts don't come with a receipt. There is a purpose in everything God does. Therefore, he has a plan when he bestows his gifts, whether we like them or not. 1 Corinthians 2.11 backs this up. God chooses the gifts he gives us. He chooses carefully. He chooses precisely for the individual, for the place, with a reason. A rather awkward example from my life can be taken from when I was 16 years old. I didn't really understand the charismatic church, nor did I particularly like the charismatic church. I came to the conclusion that maybe, yeah, God still gave gifts, but they weren't for me, especially any of those ones that seemed wild and wonderful, like tongues or prophecy. It was genuinely a no from me. But I was at camp People asked if they could pray for me, if they could pray that whatever gift I had would be made known to me. So I agreed. While they prayed, I prayed quietly. I prayed that God would give me anything. Give me hospitality, give me generosity, anything but tongues or prophecy. I was having none of it. <laughs> but let me tell you, God has a sense of humor. He didn't give me hospitality. He didn't even give me generosity. I was infuriated. <laughs> he gave me prophecy. With hindsight, God was challenging my attitude and noting my pride. He was challenging the complacency that I allowed to remain in my life. He was telling me not to put him in a box. The theology and doctrine of Judith Andrews wasn't enough even if I did think I was a genius. It wasn't adequate. It didn't understand who the Spirit was. I said at the beginning, the beauty of the Holy Spirit is found in the fact that he is so multifaceted in his speech. But it's also found in the fact that the Book of Life, that book that holds the names of Christians, isn't a tally chart. It's full of names, 
It's full of individuals. The Spirit wants to speak to you in a way that is intimate. Due to this intimacy, there's an impact. One stems from the other. You cannot have an impact without intimacy. The principle of the Spirit moving isn't new to the New Testament. Andy Smith, a pastor at Belfast City Vineyard, says that the arc of Scripture moves towards more of the Holy Spirit. But movement towards more of the Holy Spirit means that the Spirit was there all along. He was present in creation. He was present in the wilderness. He was present, and he remains present. He is still here. Therefore, we don't believe that Scripture and Spirit are mutually exclusive. We know God's character, we know his heart, and we know his promises through his word, the word that was inspired by the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22 says this, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise the words of prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We know God through Scripture, so we can discern his voice through Scripture too. To weigh and to test is not the cry of the vineyard movement. I hate to break it to any of the KV members here. Um, But it's the cry of Scripture. Listen to God's voice and test it on God's word. When it comes to gifting, sometimes we like to speak of the big and the small, the natural and the supernatural. I personally dislike these terms. I've got an attitude, I know. (laughs) All gifts are from the same giver. All gifts are for the same purpose, the building up of God's people, the building up of the church. Receive them willingly and receive them gratefully. So I was raised in an old school church where preachers like to deal with things in sets of three. So I'm going to stick to my roots. The Spirit uses the entirety of us. God created it. God can use it. Therefore, it might be useful to think of it as the Spirit using our minds, our bodies, and our hearts. Derek Morphew, a vineyard theologian, argues that through these three things, the Spirit demonstrates the eyes, the hand, and the mouth of God. God speaks to us to show us who he is, to show us his heart for us. So, going back to 1 Corinthians 12, how does the Spirit use our minds? Verse 8, words of knowledge. It's an insight into a situation. Verse 8 again, words of wisdom, applying God's wisdom to a situation. And verse 10, discerning between spirits, judging whether something is of God, humanity, or another kingdom. To offer a personal example of a word of wisdom that impacted my life, When I was in my first year here, shocker, I was a bit dramatic, I decided I didn't particularly like Scotland. Sorry to any Scottish people here. Um, It was cold, it was winter. I didn't like my modules, I didn't want to be here. Um, So I was just dramatic and thought it would be a wonderful idea to drop out and buy a one-way ticket to anywhere warmer than Scotland. So I began to pray, if this was the right choice for me, you know? Asking God what to do, whether the answer was to stay, to go, 
And if it was to go, go where, go when, and go how. So I came to, chur to church one Sunday in the middle of this existential crisis, to say the least. And Rachel Cronin, just at her, um, said to me, Hey, Judith, I don't know what this means for you, but I feel as if God wants you to know that Scotland's for a season and Scotland's for a reason. <laughs> I, once again, was not impressed by the spirit. <laughs> I wanted to move away. But God needed me and wanted me to stay here. And that word of wisdom is what helped me make my decision to stay. And I'm super glad I did that. So how does this show us who God is? It tells us he is omniscient, he's all-knowing, and he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful. By God using our minds, he shows us his eyes. He shows us what he can see. God sees and knows everything. He sees the sources and recognizes pain. He wants his voice to be heard in every situation. He shows us that he cares enough to intervene. Intervene to better every situation. He doesn't choose to abandon. He chooses to stay. These three gifts, knowledge, wisdom, and discerning between spirits are gifts of discernment, gifts of appraisal. These gifts require interpretation. God speaks to us to speak to others. He does not take over our bodies um, to speak to the individual. He uses us as vessels. Thus, we don't speak with the authoritative word of God. There is no thus says the Lord here. We speak with the potential of it being from God, the potential of us interpreting it incorrectly, and the potential of just getting it wrong. On a practical note, other than scripture, how do we know that a word or picture is from the Spirit. Because some of us have cracking imaginations. From personal experience, when there's an image in my mind that seems odd, or something that I just really wouldn't ponder about, it could be weird and wonderful, like a picture of a sloth and an onion. That's all I could come up with. Um, <laughs> that seems like a really random combination, but maybe it's a Spirit trying to get your attention, trying to provoke you to listen. Sometimes it could be a word or a phrase in your mind that seems so vivid and so clear that you just couldn't come up with it. That could be from the Spirit. Often God also uses the raw materials that we bring to the table. He uses our experiences, our peers, our senses, our family. It's our job to determine whether God is trying to speak to us or not. Pray and ask. Wait for another nudge. Ask God to make the word or picture repetitive or more vivid to see if it's from him. Pray and wait. Oh, pray and wait. In 1 Corinthians 12, what examples are there of the Spirit using our bodies to speak? Verse 9, healing. What is healing? It's an event of healing that a sick person receives. This healing isn't just confined to the physical. It is present in the emotional, the spiritual, the mental and social spheres too. In Greek, it's gifts of healings, plural, not singular. To mark the fact that healing isn't just confined to the physical, it can happen in all spheres. Healing is merely an umbrella term. 
but why did I put this under God using our bodies to speak? We believe that God can use sympathy pains, pains which we feel in our bodies that aren't our own pain, but we are feeling them to know that someone else is suffering, that someone else needs healing. But the question remains, are experiences like sympathy pains at all valid? Yeah, they are. The legitimacy of experience is founded on scripture. Scripture is revelation. To reveal means to make something known that was unknown before. Experiences such as sympathy pains are just God continuing to reveal. Biblically, God continuously uses physicality as a means of healing. Mark 8, 25, Jesus places his hands over the blind man's eyes and the blind began to see. Verse 10, miracles. Miracles is another example of God using our bodies to speak. Miraculous powers are in the plural. Miracle is not one size fits all. The Greek word as miracle can also be seen as power in other translations. Miracles are offense. Offense in which things and people are affected by the power of God through an individual. This miraculous event is for the good. The good of a person, the good of a place, the good of a thing, the good of a circumstance. This is the same terminology used in 1 Corinthians 15 when referring to the resurrection. The resurrection was a sign. It was a marker of God's power. Miracles operate in this present age by the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The Bible is riddled with examples of miracles. Joshua 10. Joshua told the sun to stop in the sky, and it did. John's Gospel. Jesus performed seven nature miracles. If the arc of the scripture is moving more to God and more of the Spirit, then it's moving to more of God's power too. Then, miracles didn't stop in the New Testament. Verse 10 also includes tongues and interpretation of tongues. Tongues can be defined as the speaking inspired by the Spirit in which the conscious mind plays no part. This language can either be known, a tongue of man, French, German, English, or unknown, angelic. Interpretation of tongues is, funnily enough, the interpretation of tongues. Um, interpretation and translation are not the same thing. Interpretation in regards to tongues is the spirit-driven desire and ability to speak in the language of the listener in order to relay the message that was spoken in tongues. Translation would require a formal education in this language. So, the gift of tongues can promote intimacy with God. It can be a means of communication from a believer to their God. It can build up an individual. When tongues occurs and interpretation is given, it can build up the entire church. Tongues can let the non-Christian know that God is for them and God is available to them. How amazing would it be to hear someone speak in the language of your heart, your native language, when they have no recollection of that language at all? God is the ultimate linguist. He uses our voices to show his care and his love for each person, each people, no matter their country of origin. So, how is this the Spirit speaking? 
It shows God's interest. It shows God's care. He sees pain and he wants to heal. He wants us to communicate with him and with others. He is an active God. So to finish our discussion on God using our bodies as a means of God speaking, we will look at the gift of prophecy. Verse 10 is where we find prophecy. Prophecy is revelation. It reveals the heart or mind of God about a situation, subject, or person. It is not necessarily about the future. It can be about past, present, and or future. Prophecy is revelation from God, making things known. It's not from man. So prophecy can serve a lot of purposes. It can be a means of preparation, a means of encouragement. It can be bringing about a practical application and it can identify giftings in others. So God uses our bodies to show his hand, his power, and his voice to show his interest. He is a familiar God, not a detached God, and not an isolated God. So, so far we have God using our minds and our bodies. Now on to our next part. The Spirit uses our hearts. Verse 9, faith. What is it? An unforeseen or unexpected confidence within a person in the face of a specific need or situation. It is not the type of faith that saves us, nor is it the type of faith that makes us persevere under oppression. It is a bold faith, a faith that seems illogical and irrational, a faith that is confident that God will act. A faith that sees the spirit as in radical pursuit of the individual when the rest of the world has given up on them. An example of faith can be seen here in Kingdom Vineyard. Many of you may know that the lease in the Vineyard Centre is coming to an end. We need somewhere new. But we also felt that God said not to plan. He would provide for us. That is a bold faith. Not planning and waiting for God to move. So, God uses the entirety of our being. He uses his gifts as a means of speech through our minds, our bodies, and our hearts. He shows us who he is through this speech. He reveals himself through his speech. Coming into land. How do we listen? How do we recognize God's speech? And how do we recognize gifting? Number one, our attitude determines our approach. Pray for the uncomfortable. In my journey, I pray that the Spirit will make me uncomfortable if I don't respond to his voice or if I choose to be disobedient to his will. For me, this takes the form of getting a really sore stomach when I know I have to go and speak to somebody, but I just would rather not, um, or getting really sweaty palms when I have to agree to do something, i.e. preaching, when it seems like a lot of effort but pray for the uncomfortable. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Don't grieve him. If he is within us, why don't we pray that we feel his grief? You only grieve for someone when you truly care about them. The Spirit truly cares. Feel his grief. Number two, Don't stress yourself out. It's really not worth it. Been there, done that. The entire journey is trial and error. 
Ask, wait, receive. Listen, obey. Nobody will die if you get an interpretation wrong. What matters is your obedience, not your emotions. So don't stress yourself out. And number three, allow space for the spirit in the mundane. Start the morning by saying, hey, spirit, you speak, I'm willing to listen. And say it expectantly, say it boldly, encouraging him to come. Humble yourselves in your mundane. Step aside and wait and listen and pray. There's a lot of hours in the day to do that. So the moral of the story is this. God speaks. We should listen. He speaks primarily through his spiritual gifts. He is a familiar God, and he uses our familiarity. Let's humble ourselves to see what he will do. Why don't you stand, and I'll pray for us. Come, Holy Spirit. Spirit, we thank you that you're a part of the triune God, that you have a role to play. So we welcome you here tonight. We apologize for shunning you, for running away from you, and not particularly liking you at times. But we thank you that you care. So come, you're so welcome in this place. Come and let people know that you love them. Come and speak into their hearts, their minds, their bodies. Let them know your presence in a way that will impact them. You are the God of intimacy. Spirit, speak intimately. Come and have your way. We just humble ourselves before you and say that it's all for you. Come and do what you want to do. And that's what we're here for. We love you, Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.